It is so good to be here this morning at the church on the trail. We've had a fantastic weekend ministering to your men. I've eaten really, really good this weekend. If I joined church on the trail and was there much longer, I might have a weight problem. I tell you, they feed you good. Listen, we've had a powerful weekend in the Lord. It's so awesome to be here this morning. I love uh, Ed and Susan Griffin Hagen. They're my kind of people. They're as real as the rain. Uh, Susan Griffin Hagen can get more done on accident than I ever could on purpose. Can you say amen, church? <laughs> she makes coffee nervous. I'm talking about she gets it done. Brother Ed and me have, have been friends a long, long time. We played ball together. We coached ball together. We uh, had our, our uh, bumps in the road about the same times in life, and now we're preaching together. Can you say amen? Amen. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm just a preacher's kid. I've been preaching since I was about 19. My dad pastored the church in this town for about 30 years. And uh, now he's the seniors pastor not far from here at North Highland Church. And uh, I fell in love with storytelling at a very young age. And storytelling's taken me a lot of places. Uh, and August is coming. I'll do 100 football talks this August in 30 days. Now, I know you say, man, that sounds almost logistically impossible. It is. <laughs> but I've done it for five years in a row. Last year, even during COVID, we spoke to 100 teams. Now, we didn't get to do it 30 days. It took 47 days last year. But uh, excited to be here. also want to say hello to a new friend that I met this morning, Rebecca Rogers. See, I showed up this morning early, and she doesn't know me from anybody. And she was cleaning out there at the coffee stand. And she dropped what she was doing, helped me find a table, helped me get situated. And she did it in such a sweet and courteous way. I tell you, you may want to remember her name, Rebecca Rogers. She's going to be a world changer. She was such a help to me. And everybody in here this morning who's over 50 years old, I want to say this to you. Quit talking about participation trophies. And catch kids doing things right. We need to affirm this generation of children. We need to catch them doing things right. And if you look, you can catch them doing things right and be a positive. Uh, but she's my new friend, and I wanted to tell her how much I appreciated her help this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we need your help. Uh, if your will is going to be done, it can't be us. So I pray this morning that that's exactly what happens. We're going to try our best, and I was really... I fretted over about what to preach this morning because I know how serious this is and I know what a great honor it is to be here. But Lord, I believe I've heard from you and now I'm asking you to do what we can't do. Lord, I'm asking you to prepare people's heart for this simple little message that I have this morning. Lord, I believe this is a true statement. The same sunshine that hardens clay melts wax. So prepare our hearts. We don't have to pray for the word to be anointed. It's already anointed. But I do pray that I will be anointed, and I pray that our ears and hearts will be ready for what you have for us. In your precious name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. I got a table full of hats out there. I, 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 I set those up everywhere I go. They're not for sale. If you want one, get one. If you want to make a little donation, put it in the gas jug. But the reason I do that is 150 times a year, I get in my little white Ford Expedition and I go preach somewhere for free. And uh, the 
product table helps me do that. So that's what that's about. And if you want to do that this morning, that'd be a blessing. So I've lived in Central Florida twice. My dad went to Bible College at Southeastern Bible College in Lakeland, Florida when I was in the third grade. He sold a business here, went two and a half years. I lived there as a kid. And then I went to Southeastern Bible College after I graduated high school. I don't really miss Central Florida. I got a lot of people I love down there. And don't get me wrong, I love to visit Central Florida. And I got a two-year-old granddaughter. And I'm putting money in a mason jar. And I'm going to take her to go see Mickey Mouse. I mean, so, I mean, I understand about Central Florida, what's down there. I'm going to do that if, if uh, it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks or says. I'm going to do it. But one thing I do miss about Central Florida, you know, I like the fall, I like to hunt, I like cold weather. You don't really get a, much of that in Central Florida. One thing I do miss is that every spring, about a month before baseball season starts, half the major league teams go to Arizona, the other half go to Central Florida. And it's called the Grapefruit League. And for five bucks, you can pick one of 20 or 25 teams and go see them play spring ball for five bucks. When I was in college, with your college ID, it was almost free. I can't remember, it was a dollar or two. When I was a kid, my dad was in college. I met all the, not all, but most of the heroes of my youth. I met Johnny Bench, I met Tommy Lasorda, I met Dave Parker, I met so many guys down there at spring baseball. And it's more relaxed and laid back. They love talking to people. Well, when I went back in college, I was at Clearwater, Florida at that time. That's where the Philadelphia Phillies have their training uh, camp, their spring training. And I was with a guy, and he introduced me to the hitting instructor at that time. This is back in the 80s for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I'm not a Philadelphia sports fan of nothing. When you grow up loving the Falcons, I saw Harold Carmichael go behind the Falcons the secondary so many times for a touchdown. I mean, but I, apart from Julius Irving, Dr. Che, I, I, I really ain't never pulled for Philadelphia, nothing. But I always liked a baseball guy for the Phillies. He, he, he was a great hitter. His name was Mike Schmidt. He just looked like, what if Marshall Dillon played baseball. He was just a cool, tall, magnum P.I., John Wayne looking guy, and he could crush it. I always liked Schmidt. Well, we're at the training facility, and I, I see old Schmidt out there. I remember the year before, Schmidt was in a tremendous slump. Now, I don't know who your favorite hitter is. Well, I'd love to talk with you about it after church or uh, of all time, but if you look at their career, at some point or another, every hitter goes through a slump. Now, at that time, I just thought, I'm going to ask the hitting instructor, how'd y'all get him out of his slump? Because he had been through a bad slump. It didn't last long. But, I mean, he couldn't buy a hit. If he fell out of a boat, he wouldn't hit water. I mean, this cat could not hit. And they, they helped him out of it. So I, I was reading in Sports Illustrated where they would take a, this is in the 80s. I can't even imagine what they would do today. But they would take a video and go second by second, frame by frame, and they would compare his swing when he was hitting good to his swing now. They brought in sports psychologists 
They did all, they spent all kind of money trying to get Schmidt out of his slump. So I asked the hitting instructor for the Philadelphia Phillies, what y'all do to get Schmidt out of his slump? And he said, funny you ask, that guy right there is the guy who got him out of it. And it was an older African-American gentleman who was a scout for them in the St. Louis, Missouri area in the Midwest. He said, hey, come here. So I asked the guy who got Schmidt out of the slump, how'd you do it? I was kind of shocked. He said, I went and bought a couple of barbecue sandwiches, and I took him to a picnic table, and we just sat down and ate lunch and talked, and I said, Mike, tell me as a kid, how did you learn how to hit? And something in that talk reminded Schmidt that hitting is just about seeing the ball and hitting the ball. I don't know how you learned how to hit. I remember how I learned how to hit. My dad had a, like a half a five-gallon bucket full of these little practice golf balls, but they were wiffle balls. And he would turn that bucket upside down and sit on it. And I had one of those long, yellow, skinny wiffle bats. Y'all remember the wiffle bat? It stood the test of time. That wiffle bat's been around my whole life. Every man in this room has either been pummeled or pummeled a dear friend with that yellow wiffle bat. I mean, that thing is bad to the bone. It's only about that big around. It's hard as a brick. It's light as a feather. It's a weapon of mass destruction is really what it is. <laughs> but my dad would sit on that bucket, and he would just soft toss those wiffle balls. And I would take a step. You know, he would say, squash. I think it was squash the spider. No, crush the egg, squish the bug. Take a step and turn and just swing. And I was a little goofy kid. You know, at first I ain't even touching the ball. Then finally I start nicking the ball. And in a matter of a week or two, I'm sending those balls to the chain link fence in our backyard. When things are awkward, when things are dark, We do what Schmidt did. We go to the beginning. We go to the beginning and we learn what to do when we're in a slump, when things are weird, when things are different, when things don't make sense. So we're going to go to the very beginning today. If you have your Bibles or device, I'm reading for Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. So in the very beginning, the earth had three issues that we can identify with. First of all, it was formless. There really was, you know, in the lack of structure doesn't bring emptiness a lot of times, it brings chaos. You ever pulled up to a red light and it ain't working? And there's the policeman hadn't got there yet? And there's people at all four, you don't really know what to do. Should I go? Should I let them go? You know, it, it's that feeling. But the earth was formless. What do we do when our life is formless? When our life is chaotic? 
Well, I have a suggestion, an answer for you today. We're going to get back to Genesis 1, but it's a story from my childhood. Matter of fact, it's answer number three from a question I heard when I was 10 years old on the ABC Wide World of Sports. Now, some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of you do. See, on Saturday when there was no cable, there was no internet, there was no YouTube, there was no ESPN, there was this show, the ABC Wide World of Sports, and they covered all kind of craziness. How many of you remember that they showed in the intro that guy wrecking coming down that ski slope? I wonder, did that guy live? Somebody Google if that guy lived through that. I mean, this guy just blew it going to, and they had the theme, and they wore these mustard yellow blazers. Well, there was this guy that really appeared on the wide world of sports more than anybody else. He was their number one draw. And I loved to watch it when he was on there. Now, during COVID, I'm sure you did the same thing. You probably found things to watch on TV you never watched. I finished my first marathon during COVID. I did Seinfeld Marathon. It took about three weeks and some discipline, but I did. I finished that marathon. But, I mean, I found this thing called the X Games. On ESPN, there wasn't nothing else on. I mean, I got tired of seeing them play cornhole and poker, so, I mean, I, I want to see something, you know, that requires athleticism. So it's the X Games, and, man, they're doing all kind of crazy stuff. These guys are on skis and snowboards. And, but the, my favorite part was the motorcycles. I mean, these dudes ride these motorcycles, go up, flip 14 times, come back down. It was fantastic. We didn't have the X Games. See, we had this one dude, and he took an old street Harley Davidson, and he knocked a bunch of stuff off of it, and he painted the gas tank red, white, and blue, and he got him a white leather outfit and a cape, and he used to jump stuff. His name was Evil Knievel. He was a daredevil. Now, you got to remember, when Evil Knievel uh, jumped something on the wide world of sports, there was no cable. There was no ESPN. There was no YouTube. There was no way when I was 10 years old to record a television show. So when something happened live, you better watch it. You wouldn't see it again for seven or eight years. Well, Eva Knievel announced when I was 10 years old that in about five weeks in Wembley Stadium, he is going to jump 13 Greyhound buses on that Harley Davidson motorcycle. It's all we talked about for five weeks. As a matter of fact, some of us went and got some of our mama's old towels and got clothes pins and made us a cape. Some of us built ramp with bricks and blocks and an old piece of plywood and we would jump. Y'all remember that? Is there, is there another man in here with enough you're securing yourself enough to admit you made a cape and you jumped. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did that. There you go. So it comes the day of the event. My mama made snacks. My whole neighborhood's at my house. We got Kool-Aid and them sorry little flour cookies. Y'all remember the flour cookies at 3000 for 47 cents? They had no taste. You remember them little flour cookies had to hold them? They were terrible. It's like, Mom, get some Nutty Buddies or something. A bitter pattern. Good gracious. We're getting ready to watch Evil Knievel 
not on an X Games motorcycle, on a street Harley Davidson, jump 165 feet over 13 Greyhound buses. You couldn't drive another person in Wembley Stadium with a sledgehammer and a cold chisel. The whole world is watching. Now, if you've ever seen Evil Knievel, you know he comes out on a little trick bike, rides a bunch of wheelies and does some donuts. He, he has them revved up. Then he gets on the old hog that he's going to jump the buses with. And he's sitting up there at the top of that ramp. They build it ramp way up into the seats of the stadium. He's up there at the top. He's done eight or ten tests. We're, I mean, you, my head's about to explode, man. Dude, jump the buses. ABC, Wild World Sports, Frank Gifford in his mustard yellow blazer with a microphone that long <laughs> pulls his cord over and asks Evil Knievel three questions. The answer to question number three is what we do when our life is formless. Question number one. He said, Evil, how fast you going when you go down that ramp? Evil said, I don't know. We knocked the speedometer off of it. I ain't got no idea. I just go fast as I can. It kind of embarrassed Gifford. I mean, the whole world's watching. He just blew question number one. Then in question number two, he says, well, I notice when you get about halfway across, you pull up on the front tire. How do you know when to do that? He was like, I don't know. I don't count buses or nothing. I just, when I feel like I need to pull up on the front end, I pull up on the front end. Gifford's 0 for 2. He's embarrassed, but he rallies on question number three. He said, Evil, let me ask you this. What is going through your mind when you go down that long trail? What he said, I'm 55, he said, when I was 10 years old, and if I live to be 110, I'll never forget it. He said, we take a tape measure and we pull to the very center of the long trail. And he said, we take two pieces of duct tape and we make an X. He said, the only thing I'm thinking is not how fast I'm going or not when to pull up on the front tire. He said, the only thing I'm thinking is drive that tire through the X. He said, because if I miss it this far on the launch ramp, 165 feet and 13 buses later, I'll miss the entire landing ramp. Drive through the X. What Evil Knievel's really saying is do what's most important first with passion and excellence. Now, Evil Knievel's ex look like this. Ours looks like that. When things are formless or chaotic or there's nothing to compare it to, what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What do we do when we don't, we're in a spot we really don't know what to do? Do what's most important first with passion and excellence. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then the other things will work themselves out. We walk to the cross. We bring people with us to the cross. We point people to the cross. We live and hope our dreams all begin, end, and exist in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if your life is a little formless, I would say go back to the beginning. 
when you first got saved, remember how you wept when God wiped your heart clean for the first time? Remember how excited you were to share with people? Go back to that point. So he said the earth was formless and the earth was empty. What do we do when our life seems empty, like we're just going through the motions? Like we just, I mean, we're just running like a hamster on a wheel. We're, we're putting forth the energy, but it doesn't seem like we're getting very far. Our life just seems empty. It's like we need something new to happen. Well, let me tell you what brings fulfillment in life. There are things that bring temporary fulfillment. But let me tell you what does not bring fulfillment long term. Money. You say, how can you say that? You don't have any money. You're right. Well, how do you know? Because the people in this country that have the most money, when I look at their lives, they don't seem very fulfilled. Power, achievement, those things surely bring fulfillment. I'm sure they do temporarily, but the most powerful people in, in, in the world who've achieved the most their lives don't seem long-term fulfilled. There's one common denominator, if you, walk, if you travel this whole world, of people who are fulfilled. And you may tell you what it is. People who are giving of themselves to serve other people. They are the most fulfilled people on this earth. So if your life seems empty, what are you giving? Or you say, Lee, are you preaching about tithes? No, I'm not even necessarily talking about money. I'm talking about of yourself and your giftings and your giving to the kingdom. I didn't have time to say this this morning, but I'll say it now. See, some of you are receiving information. You're receiving good instruction. You're receiving biblical knowledge, but you're not giving. You have no release. Now, there is a medical term for when you only take in and you have no release. And that term is called constipation. <laughs> it's not a very spiritual thought this Sunday morning, but it's as true as anything I've ever said. And I run into people all the time who are spiritually constipated. They are miserable. They have become professional analysts and they have become professional spectators and they wonder why they're not fulfilled. I talked to a boy that grew up in my youth group Friday on a golf course who is looking for a church. I gave him one piece of advice, unsolicited. He didn't ask me, but I was glad to tell him. I said, quit going to church after church looking for a church that will meet all your needs. Go find a church that has a need you can meet. Because if you go start filling a need in a church, you're going to buy in, your family's going to buy in, your kids are going to buy in, and you're going to be the happiest church-going person in Columbus, Georgia. Because your life will be a lot of things. It'll be busy, <laughs> but it won't be empty. So when our life is formless and empty, and then it says darkness was on the earth. It was, 
It was, it was around. Listen, I've read books on spiritual darkness. I've watched movies on spiritual darkness. I've listened to podcasts on spiritual darkness. I'm not an authority on spiritual darkness, nor am I making light of your spiritual darkness. But I can save you some time and money and brain cells when it comes to the topic of spiritual darkness. Are you ready? A little bit of light defeats all darkness. Just a little bit of light. And our Savior is the light of this world. And he's informed and I mean, instructed us and given us the ability to be lights in the darkness. So quit studying the darkness and start moving toward the light because the light defeats darkness. Quit talking about the darkness. Quit worrying about the darkness. And when you see a little light, move toward it. And the closer you get to the light, the smaller the darkness in your life is going to become. And the power the darkness has in your life is going to let loose. I did a revival last September in Lavernia, Texas. I love Texas. Now that part of Texas, they put every food known to man in a tortilla. <laughs> now I love the food of Columbus, Georgia. I grew up here. We got the best barbecue joints in the world. I don't care what nobody says. There's 10 barbecue joints in Columbus, Phoenix City that are better than anyone we have in Birmingham. But in Texas, they would put watermelon in a tortilla. They put steak in a tortilla. They put eggs, cheese, and grits in tortillas. I love South Texas. I was coming back, and I had to, I had to get back in a hurry, so I actually preached the last night of that revival and I left Lavernia, Texas at 9 o'clock at night. And my plan was just to at least get to the other side of Houston, which is about three hours. But I felt so good. I found me a good book on tape. I'm feeling good, so I just come on home. I'm driving across that flat. I don't know if you've ever been to Texas. It's so flat. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably an hour out of Houston, and I see lights. There weren't very many lights on I-10. I saw some headlights and I just had this thought. I wonder if I look at my odometer the minute I see a light, how far would I travel before we cross paths? Now, I don't understand algebra or math or any of that, I promise you. But I figured if I saw them and went five miles and then we crossed paths, I mean, there's some mathematicians in here who may have to help me, but doesn't that mean they're probably about 10 miles away? So I said, the next time I see some headlights, I'm going to see. And sure enough, it was a little over 6.1 miles before we crossed paths. So what is that, 11 or 12 miles away? You know, a headlight on a car ain't but about that big around from a
today. You may not be set free. You may not be able to forget every bad thing that put you in the darkness. But let me tell you what you need today. Just a little bit of light. Just strike a match. Just click a little pin light and start moving toward the light. And the darkness will submit to the light every time. So if you're formless or empty or dark. Probably didn't think I was going to preach about evil Knievel and tortillas. But my favorite part of the scripture I'll close with. It says God was hovering over the darkness. Hovering. Man, that's a great word. He's hovering. So I got a granddaughter. She called me a minute ago when I was talking to Pastor Ed and told me, Wendy told me, Papa, Layton watched you preach a little while ago and she heard you talking about her. So just in case they're watching again, hey, Ladybug, Pop loves you. She has brought so much joy to my life. I had a good life. Ed would tell you, I had a great life. I'm a positive guy. I'm a happy guy. I love to make people. I had a good life before she got here. There are no words for how good my life is now that she's here. Somebody asked me, they said, man, it's like you see her every day. How far do you live from her? I said, one mile. And I'm looking for something closer. I'm trying to cut that distance in half. So I, I don't, my family all, when I'm at home during the week, they have to burn sick days if something's wrong with our granddaughter and she needs to stay home. So when she was in the walker stage, you remember the walker stage of little kids? when they, Not when they first get in the walker, they really ain't figured it out, but remember when they figure that walker out? Son, they are, whew, they are loving life. Well, our, our living room is stained concrete and I would put something on with bright colors that she would like and I was, because I'm a spiritual guy, I would go to Pandora and hit 80s funk music. You know, things like Brick House, uh, uh, Fantastic Voyage, things like that that were spiritually beneficial to me and my granddaughter. And I would crank it up. And I would move stuff out of the way. And man, it looked like Bristol. I mean, we are tearing that living room up, running around, having the time of our life. Well, there's this one throw rug in the middle of the room. It's kind of thin. And she would get up on that rug, and the rug would fold. And, I mean, she had been able to run, go wherever she wants, and all of a sudden, she's hit an obstacle. And it would make her mad. Man, she'd back up, ooh, try to build up a little momentum. Boom! Hit that fold in the rug, stop like she hit a brick wall. She's sitting in the walker trying to pick the walker up over the fold in the rug. And I, I said, well, I'm going to let her try. Man, she would get red in the face mad when that walker wouldn't go no more. You know what? She hit something in that walker that was impossible. Impassable. She couldn't get past it. But Pop was hovering. Do you know what she could not do in all her focus and energy? I could fix in less than one second. I'd pick her up, walk her and all, 
set her the other side of that fold in the rug, take my foot and smooth the rug back up, and it was let it rip, tater chip. She's off to the races again. What seemed impossible for her, what seemed like she could not ever get past, what seemed like something in her life she could never conquer, Pop was hovering and could fix in one second. Stand with me where you are this morning, quietly and reverently. Just stand with me. Bow your heads. Listen. I'm not making light of any darkness that you're going through. You say, Lee, I love your little, your cute little evil can evil stories and all that, but you have no idea what I'm going through. You're exactly right. I ain't got no clue what you're going through. Say, so Lee, it would be impossible for you to sympathize with what I'm going through. You're right. It may be impossible for me. But the scripture very plainly says we've not been given a high priest who can't sympathize with us. You say, Lee, you, man, my darkness is here because of abuse. Christ knows what it's like to be abused. Lee, my darkness is in my life because of abandonment. Christ knows what it's like to be abandoned. Lee, the people that I was counting on the most let me down at the worst moment of my life. Christ knows that feeling. I'm not, I'm not making light of what you're going through. I'm just here this morning to try to encourage you and give you a little hope and maybe make you laugh if it's been a long time since you laughed and let you know whether your life is formless, empty, or dark. God is hovering. And what seems impossible for you and what people keep telling you is impossible, God can fix in one second. He can set you on the other side of what's happening in 